Formula One was quick to take action to confront the financial problems that faced it amid the COVID-19 pandemic, but further moves are proving to be a little more of a sticking point as the various stakeholders reach something of an impasse in a dispute about reducing the budget cap and potentially deferring the new regulations another 12 months to 2023, as well as the mechanisms for restricting development. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and who better to untangle this situation than a man who's probably spent more hours of his life than he cares to remember in these sorts of meetings, uh, Gary Anderson. So, Gary, just to start off in general terms before we really get into detail, what's it actually like to be on the insides of these sorts of uh, technical meetings? Well, you know, everybody has their own vested interests. They're always looking after themselves, to be honest. Uh, very seldom do they work together as a, as a group. And I've been very impressed so far as to what we've seen really with stuff as, as far as the teams getting together and doing stuff um, and making decisions and, and backing it up. But obviously, these you know these bits and pieces now are becoming the big sticking blocks, which is really the, the the budget cap is one, and the development direction you take within that budget cap, because it all has to unfold. Formula One's in a, in a sort of very strange little place because you know the the teams get paid for the last sort of two years' performance, so it takes a while to catch up with itself. Um, so it's not as though you know whenever they stop racing, suddenly there's no checks coming in the door. Um, the, the the prize money should come in the door for the previous years. So it's it's a little while down the road before it really will hurt them financially. So they've got to try and manage that now. They've got to try to plan for that now, and and that's what they're really trying to do, I suppose. And you know the big problem with us all is we have we have well financed top end teams, manufacturer backed, and we have others that are doing it. Um, more or less the way we used to do it with Jordan, you know, they're there for the sport. It's a business for them for sure, and everybody's making a little bit of money out of it. That's that's what a business is all about. But it's um, it's still just a business for them, and you know they need to make the ends meet more importantly and more consistently than the than the big manufacturers. Yeah, it's certainly complicated to try and reconcile big and small teams. That's that's been a a battle for Formula One for a long time. Uh, well, I guess the the sort of best place to start, all these things are interconnected, so we will jump around a bit, but the, the budget cap overall, now this was part of the original 2021 regs. When they put back the 2021 regs, they said the budget cap would come in. The figure for the budget cap is $175 million, and there are various exemptions, drivers, and all sorts of uh, little details in the in the new financial regs. Now, there seems to be a broad kind of agreement about reducing the budget cap by a certain amount, but the big teams don't seem to want to go lower than $150 million. You know, Zach Brown said that McLaren's proposed as low as $100 million. Now, intuitively, getting it as low as possible seems sensible, but it's a bit more complicated than that, and Ferrari is particularly strong on on this topic. So how do you see their position on on this? Well, if I was um, looking at the budget cap, I would be going the opposite direction, and I'd be taking away all those little scenarios that you talk about, the driver's salaries, the management salaries, the, the commercial side, and I'd be lumping in as one. And and probably either staying at $175 million or going even a little bit higher. Because it's the big boys with the big money that pay the big drivers. So, you know, you're, let's say Lewis Hamilton does earn $50 million a year. Um, but, you know, I don't know who what um, Lando Norris earns or Carlos Sainz earns at McLaren, for example, but it ain't $50 million for sure. So you then get your decision of spending your budget or your budget cap on what you want to, either the car or the or the car or the driver. But if you take away, I suppose if you take away Mercedes's um, driver budget, their management budget, their commercial budget and all that stuff, you'd probably say that if you allowed the budget cap to be $200 million, and you take away the same thing for what McLaren spend on it, and I'm using McLaren as an example here, 
McLaren spend on their drivers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you'd probably end up with a hundred million that's spent on the car uh, in both both um, scenarios. So going along and trying to knock the budget back down only means that the the top drivers become more important to the to the equation of winning. They always will be important to the equation of winning, but at least if it's part of that budget cap, you've got to take them into account. Can you make your car go better and have a cheaper driver, or do you need that top-line driver um, in the car? So that's a decision you have to make within the team. At the moment, it doesn't matter. If you go down to $100 million for the budget cap, everybody has the same, and then it's the guys that have got 200 or $250 million that will just pay the best drivers. And, you know, looking into the future a little bit, um, you'd probably say they've been unlimited offer for somebody like Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc um, by the team that could afford them. So suddenly, you know, you've got this domination again, um, immediately starting. So that's not where we want to get to. And I think also it would mean it would open doors for for good new drivers coming in because they wouldn't be looking for that sort of money. The George Russells, they would get opportunities, for example, to, to try to get on in a bigger team quite quickly because the team would realise that spending the money on the on the car would be just as important as spending the money on the driver. And of course, a lot of these exemptions have been quite long fought over for, for some time, so I, d- I doubt they're that keen on rolling back. And then obviously the drivers, as you say, ex- exempt. That's the highest three paid uh, uh, employees are exempt as well. I wonder why all the team bosses uh, voted for that, given that they'd have been uh, often the highest paid ones. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying, to be honest. It's, it's, it is that sort of scenario that we've got ourselves caught up in. And, and I think it has to be looked at as a complete package, because otherwise it will be, um, you know, them and us even more of them and us you know the big boys that that earn the big money you know if you were to go out tomorrow and and sign up i don't know who it would be but you know the best three um top end management uh, team management uh technical director and whatever uh, else basically that that makes the team up and the two best drivers and then you had the same money left as as uh, a mclaren or someone to go racing with them you're going to get beaten you know because that's that's the way life is so the, and I know it's very difficult for them to step back and look at things in a different direction, but this is this is now a time to step back and look at things in a different direction. This is not coming around. This is not something that's um, you know going to go away in a couple of weeks, um, and this is something that nobody's ever experienced before. You know, so you need to look at things in a different direction. You can't just keep your head in the sand, following the path that you set out. Um, you know, a few months ago before this this thing popped up. Really, I mean, last year nobody knew anything about this. Come December, it was happening in China. Now it's worldwide, and it's 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 quite dramatic still. Yeah, certainly a very serious situation, which is why this this action has been considered. Looking at the the kind of sticking points specifically on on the budget cap, obviously Ferrari's position is that because they produce design and produce and research parts that are then sold to other teams, Haas and Alfa Romeo, uh, are their their kind of technical partners, their customers. Effectively, they argue that they've therefore got higher costs that have to be spent on on this kind of thing. So they're suggesting maybe you have a cap, and then you have a, there's a mechanism referred to in the in the financial regs, but it's not specified. They want a really structured uh, information on that, so they know how much they can spend on that. They're also apparently concerned about a scenario where they'd have to be forced into making redundancies, because of course. If you if you put a lower outright number, staff costs are a big thing. Staff costs in terms of paying redundancies are exempted from the cost cap as well. So I think this is an important point. F1 can't get into a position where it's forcing teams to lay off people it wouldn't have to 
because of this, because that that's then harming sort of real people with, you know, mortgages, families, and and that would that would be a wrong situation, wouldn't it? Well, that's the last thing you want to see happening for sure is people suffering the consequences. But I think with my solution, you get less opportunity of that because you do have a higher budget, um, and you just have to make your decisions about whether you pursue making your car better and using your budget to its maximum, or you say, okay, you know, I'll just put something together with a few nuts and bolts and we'll, we'll stick in the best driver and he'll go and win. We, we know that doesn't happen. You know, that really does not happen. The best driver can go to a bad team and he will not win races. He'll be more, probably make it more competitive, but he won't, he won't go out and win races. So Ferrari's argument, I think, is a bit, it's a bit weak because, you know, they build road cars and they sell them and they make money. So they know what the commercial world is like as far as manufacturing something and selling it. You have X amount of development costs for, let's take a gearbox, for example. Let's say that there's design time, the research time, all that stuff to do a brand new gearbox is, is going to cost you $10 million. This is around as a figure. Say it's $10 million. That's okay. They are then building for their team for the season, let's say 10 of them, just because it's a nice round figure again. So they've got $10 million spent on it. The, the gearbox himself probably cost, you know, 100000 or someone to build a gearbox. So you've got another um, million dollars there. And so that's that. your cost for 10 gearboxes has become $11 million. If you built another 10 gearboxes for Haas or for whoever else buys your gearbox, there is a commercial cost for that. So in reality, you know, the 10 gearboxes for Haas would also cost 100000 each, which they would get from Haas. Now, they either decide... Okay, we'll supply them at 100,000 each, or we'll, we'll take our 11 million and we'll divide it by 20 gearboxes. There is a number you can come up with that means that commercially, you can use your expertise, your manpower, etc., to come up with the best piece of kit in the world and actually make it cheaper for yourself because you're selling it to other people. Whether you just add on a percentage profit or whether you add on you know, the complete development costs, it doesn't matter. For both teams, that product will end up being a cheaper product once you pulled it onto the car. So it's just commercial business. If you make a washing machine, you know, it takes X amount of research, costs you X amount of money, you need your, your, your business plan needs to say, I'm going to sell X of these before I make any money on it. So all the components in the car are just like that, basically. And they just need to be managed and managed correctly. Maybe Formula One people aren't uh, too good at doing that, but it needs to be managed on a commercial basis. Yeah, and of course, those contracts will have been structured in, in, in the correct way. There seems to be a fear from the big teams that if they go below 150 million without, uh, without a very clear structure for, for these supply things, that actually they, they concern the smaller teams will gain a competitive advantage over them. Now, while I can see the basic logic of that argument, it does seem maybe overstated because they're still going to be the bigger teams with the, with the, the bigger resource, aren't they? Because we know not, not all teams... Are going to be operating on the on the budget cap. The lower the budget cap goes, the more will be. But you know, it, it's not like the budget cap in its original form of one hundred seventy five million dollars. Everyone would have that as their their budget for the year. No, and and far from it to be honest. But oh dear, wouldn't it be really sad to see the uh, small teams get one over the big boys? You know, as I say, in these meetings, the one thing that stands out to you, everybody looks after their own vested interests. And of course, that is what the teams are going to say. But at the end of the day, the competition is such that the small teams are getting left behind. So there has to be a little bit of an incentive for the small teams to be able to do a better job. The big teams spend money because, uh, it's wrong to say this, but they have you know more manpower. They have higher paid personnel. They have more stability because those higher paid personnel are happy where they are. Um, they can afford the best drivers. They can afford the luxury of putting 
more new bits on the car all the time, more development, but just even even changing a part from you know an upright assembly or something that's getting a bit long on the tooth to a fresh one, all that stuff can happen. So the reliability issues potentially reduce dramatically. So that's all you're trying to do is bring it a little bit closer together, bring it to, to a number that sort of justifies its existence, I suppose you might call it, especially in this in this uh, in this situation that we're in now. Um, and make the teams all try and pull them back to a level playing field. So I think there's a you know there's a commercial interest from everything. Um, Mercedes don't spend that sort of money on on their team because they're not getting the coverage. Now if they were running around you know first and second, they actually get less coverage than if they're battling for fourth and fifth. So they've got to you know they haven't seen that battle for fourth and fifth and the TV coverage that they would get for it. They've only just done their first, you know, run around first and second. And to be honest, you know, the, the, the seconds on TV that Lewis Hamilton and his Mercedes would have got last year is probably a lot less than, than some other team, as I say, in the, in the top of the midfield. So it's a, that's what it's all about. It's about TV time. And this could work towards that as well, because if it's more competitive, you'll get more TV time. Where do you think this budget cap debate will will end up it seems like that that there's a desire for almost a kind of two-tier thing whereby the the bigger teams that are supplying smaller teams cannot can operate at slightly higher budget to reflect the, the investment they're spending and with the new rules which we'll talk a little bit about later obviously there will be it's not like they can just keep pumping out the same exactly the same things because there will be be changes so do you think that that's that's kind of a an outcome that that will eventually be be agreed on well, it's a difficult one because you've got two scenarios. Um, I mean, if you look at the Haas and the Ferrari, you'll see a, a family resemblance through the through the car. Um, I'm not saying by any means that, that Haas have copied Ferrari, but you'll see a family resemblance. If you look at the Alfa Romeo and the Ferrari, you won't see a family resemblance. So where does that, where does that mean that you're using somebody else's concept idea and time and my and research to sort of develop your car. And again, a very good example of that is is the pink the pink Mercedes as it's called. You know, that is without doubt, if you look at it, a clone of the the 2019 um, Mercedes. So you've got this situation where where does that become thought about in budget cap? The fact that you can look at other cars and come up with something somehow or another. I'm not quite sure how you do it all from pictures completely. Um, I'm not quite sure how your research doesn't change, and even even just your own ego mean you change some of the lines somewhere just to make it look a little bit different. Um, I mean, you know, the one thing that stood out in the pink Mercedes is the nose shape. It's it's identical. Um, there is no need for that to be identical. I mean, the, the shape that Mercedes came up with there, for sure, yes, it's it's obviously worked. But you would put a bigger fillet red radius on it or make it a little bit narrower here or a little bit wider there or something just to put your own stamp on it. And and they didn't. So that's an area where the, the, you know, the budget caps will never, ever accommodate that. So somewhere along the line, it's it needs to be sorted out. But it's almost impossible to, to control that part because we all walk down the pit lane. We all look at stuff get thousands of pictures taken and you end up with what you end up with so something black and white has to be there i think and to me that if you move the budget cap in the bigger direction and include it all everything in it you might just get a chance of uh, of in, uh, capturing that sort of uh, area for for uh, doing things differently 
Well, let's move on to to development control. We know the cars will be carried over to 2021. Uh, There's going to be certain parts of the the package will be frozen, and they want to allow some development. So it seems there's a broad consensus on having a a token system. So you get a set number of tokens, and then presumably the system will be that changing X will cost you however many tokens. We we had a system like this for the the power units uh, originally under these regulations, which proved unpopular and was dropped in, in the end. Do you think this is a, a sensible way to to control it? Because I guess you've got the you've then got a two tier thing where some things are locked, and then there's other things that you can change. But within the things you can change, there's controls by having the tokens. The tokens the tokens will always be a mechanism for for um, controlling that. But how do you manage it? Is the big question. Now, I've thought about it long and hard, and the FIA, the FIA, F one itself, and all of the teams now do. A lot of research, um, aerodynamic research, CFD research, and wind tunnel research, especially whenever they're trying to understand the current car and moving forward to the what was the 2021 car, which is now the 2022 car. Um, so basically, it's a very good understanding of the areas that produce the downforce on the car. The downforce produced in an X specification is, you know, there's 100% of the car. So, for example, the barge bores, let's say, produce 20%. Um, the diffuser produces 25%, the rear wing produces 35%, and so on and so forth, through all those all those main big components that are downforce-producing devices. Um, so you just say, okay, for each car, uh, aerodynamically, you're going to have 100 tokens. And if you change the barge board, the barge boards, you pay 25 for them, because that's 25% of the downforce that car produces, or the underfloor X, you know, whatever, that, whatever the numbers are. So you just have your percentage of downforce produced by the car for the components, um, and you can separate that quite well and individually. It's, it's all done. It's all there. So that would give you a good aerodynamic control over that that sort of area. Um, and you divide it into the big bits, and you probably produce some boxes to say, this is what we call the barge boards. It takes into account the leading edge of the side pod or whatever, a box there that says X from the center of the car outward, height, and starts at the reference plane. And the same for the diffuser, you give it a box shape, and then you change into the inside of that box, costs you X amount of, of um, tokens. The The big problem falling into that is that, obviously, each team will have five, six, seven, eight different rear wing specifications for different tracks. So if you take Monaco to, Mo- to, to Monza, it's a very different rear wing. So you've either got to come up with something for a specific wing change that you can do. Uh, you allow that to be a wild card where you can change the... This, the size of the wing, or you look at the frontal area of the rear wing, for example, and you say that it's um, it's eighty percent of the of the hundred percent that you can use. So Monaco like would use a hundred percent of the frontal area of the wing to produce downforce, and if you say um, uh, you know your Monza spec is thirty percent of that, then you only pay thirty percent of the tokens for that that component or something. So there's a mechanism there for aerodynamic development that would control it quite well. Um, and allow you the tokens to work. I don't know why they just don't say you're allowed to change these bits, you know, once a, once a year or something like that. Because there's X amount of bits you could go around the car and say these are the these are the important factors. Then you get into the mechanical side. Um, you have to allow within all of that. You have to allow stuff to be made more reliable. Um, so that has to be a bit of a, an open an open door. If you've got a problem with the front wheel bearing, for example, and you may have to you know change your specification. Of the bearing and maybe make a, the upright with a bigger hole in it or a slightly bigger axle or something stupid like that. You know, you have to be allowed to be able to do that. But I think you have to have the failure first 
You know, you have to actively define that this has failed. This is the failure. This is our reactive um, direction to to fix it. So, I think there's a mechanism there to do the tokens and to do it quite to do it quite comprehensively. And aerodynamic development is the the direction that car needs to go to go faster. Basically, everything else is pretty much a a token gesture towards to look towards looking after the tires better. Um, so you could do it with the tokens, as I say. CFD will dictate what each part of the car's value is, and then go from there. Yeah, I think the the agreement on restricting the development makes sense because you want to keep the the cost down for the kind of next eighteen months. Obviously, they they frozen wind tunnel and aero work on the on the new rules. They can't do that uh, uh, for the rest of the year. It's early next year. It's, it, it comes back in. So that's sensible because the, obviously these are long-term impacts as well. It's not going to be kind of, it takes a couple of months for everything to be balanced up. The whole income for next year is going to be badly uh, badly hit by this because fewer races, I think the races are about a third, just under a third of F1's overall uh, revenue and obviously the F1 teams divide up at a share of, uh, of that. So I mean, you, you have talked in the past, you referred to it there about having sort of homologation phases so you could have five races, whatever, with with certain packages, etc. So there could be simpler ways of doing this because the one thing that is concerning is obviously if if you then hit a specific reliability problem or something that's hugely expensive on the tokens to fix when it is just a very esoteric problem that may have struck someone. I mean, teams don't have these problems as much as they used to because of the amount of work they can and R&D they can put into it, but they're it's these exceptional circumstances that sometimes rules like this make difficult, isn't it? It is, yeah, the exceptional circumstances. Now, there has to be a window left open, I think, for the, to fix that. Now, we, if we had, if they had something where, basically, if, if a team, a problem crops up, and it, it could be just a, an aerodynamic problem or a handling problem, it could be something that pops up there, and they say, look, we've got this problem, they define it well enough, uh, applying to the FIA and F1 as it is now, because the two of them are sort of fairly equal in all of this stuff. Um, and say we, you know, we need to try to fix this because you know we want to go racing better. Um, and they put forward their proposal, and that proposal then is is put to the teams and said, look, is this acceptable? You know, let's take the front wheel bearing failure for example as a mechanical thing. You know, there's no team going to stand in the way of of Williams putting a new front upright in the car because they, you know to, to let them make the end of a race. That, that, that's not going to happen. And even at that point in time, you'd say, you know, let's say a seventy percent vote or something would 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 get it through. So there might be the, the team that's battling with Williams stole a little bit on it, to be honest. But most of this stuff goes around, comes around and bites you sometime or another. So it'd be far better to be open and allow it to happen, especially with these circumstances. So you could have an you know an open house for any any criteria that popped up that was ruining a team's potential. Um, and and just make it a seventy percent vote by the teams, the FIA and F and uh, and Form or Formula One, and uh, you have you know you get out of those situations, and that's that would be the thing about having all the teams working together or all the all the the the, the people working together that are involved in making Formula One happen because that's what has to happen right now, or you know we could see Formula One disappear. It, it could happen and it could just step itself back by thirty forty years very very quickly. Um, which might not be a bad thing because it might it mean there's a room for Cosworth to bring up a, an old DFV, dust it down and stick it in the back of the car and, and suddenly you have racing again. This is going to be the thing. When does racing, forget Formula 1 or Formula, Formula E or Formula 2 or MotoGP, any of that, when does racing actually kick off again? When does it get started? And this is what you're looking at, the interests of getting racing back up and running again in one way or another. 
it doesn't have to be the way it was, and it never will be the way it was. It will be different, and you've got to, they've got to accept that. So there will be some areas need to be left open-handed to, to make sure, or open-ended, to make sure that you've got ways out of them if you do put in these restrictions. I think that's the thing, and and one of the reasons Ferrari on the on the budget cap thing, is, on the cost cap thing, is is particularly keen to get things set because they see this as a longer term thing, and they want to make sure that if you do implement emergency measures, which these are, that are going to be carried over and have a long term impact, you want to get them right. And to be fair, they've got a little bit of time. They made the first move, so I don't think this is a question of any particular teams being massively problematic. I'd, I'd rather they took a few more weeks to set it because it's not going to make any difference and get it right than uh, than panic it through. Let's look at the the kind of almost the, the broadest uh, of these things, which is the the question about deferring the regulations to 2023. So this will be another 12 month delay on the on the the much vaunted new regs originally for 2021. Red Bull, I think, proposed this. Now, interestingly, it felt like this was going to be something that had broad agreement, but F1 and the FIA have kind of blocked this effectively. I guess from F1's perspective and the FIA to a lesser extent, they've both been heavily involved in it, but F1 liberty commercially obviously see this is the big point where they can really start boosting the profits of, of formula one because even though profit uh formula one's revenue like last year was over two billion its profit was actually by those standards razor thin i think it was less than one percent of, of that revenue was was profit so should we be surprised by this or do you think this is something that the, the bigger picture needs to be looked at to protect the teams and put it back 12 months um I think it needs to be looked at, yes. I, I don't think there's any one individual team involved in Formula One that really are 100% behind the regulations. Um, and obviously, Formula One and the FIA are 100% behind the regulations, the change of regulations. So that will always be a, a, a sticking block. The, these regulations were to an extent, or this regulation change was to an extent pushed through by FOM, or by Formula One and, um, and the FIA. So it was a sort of fait accompli and the teams had to buy into it in a way because as you say this was liberty's big save the world uh, situation the save the world situation is a completely different deal right now um so i think moving the regulations back to 2023 would would be the right thing because although teams are hurting right now for finance because of sponsorship and all that sort of stuff teams will hurt more next year because of it you know, if this racing doesn't continue, and obviously we just had the Canadian Grand Prix cancelled, so this, the season's getting, or the year that we might end up racing is getting shorter and shorter. And we talk about this, you know, super season where the two of them go together and whatever ends up being at the end of the day, if and when we get racing again. So the 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 the, the hit's not going to be right now. You know, the hit is going to be later later on in in the, in, in this window of change. And the last thing you need to do is go into twenty twenty one as it will be racing your car saving you know i don't know on development if you if you limit it control it very very well you might save a team five million dollars or something for parts uh, over the over the 2021 season but you're going to also spend another 25 or 30 million on the development of the 2022 car you got to you got to move that down the road a little bit further i i believe um to allow the thing to sort of sort itself all out and see where it really is and see what it can afford because right now at the minute if you're making decisions on on the income that formula one will have in 2020 the rest of 2020 and 2021 you know whatever your potential whatever you predict then i think you can half it easily and you'll still come out with less than that coming in so 
this is a bigger hit than I think the, the big boys sort of think. And uh, if they don't react to it right now, it'll be you know the 2021, 2022, where it really does start to hurt. And of course, uh, some of the big teams, certainly Ferrari, argue that the that the deferring the regs isn't necessarily a good idea because the new regs, the cars will be cheaper to run. But of course, when it comes to that, that means in the long term you might make a saving, but it's not going to be kind of within six months of running them, you've pulled back all that development cost, is it? So, And there's the other dimension as well, which is uh, the, the even bigger picture, which is still we don't have a commercial agreement. There's this kind of intention to sort of have a proper Concord agreement again next year with all teams signed up to it, whereas in recent years it's been governed by a series of bilateral agreements between uh, F1 and, and the teams and the FIA. Uh, obviously have one with, with Liberty as well. So... This is complicated as well. You can maybe understand why F1 and F- FIA, F1 in particular, don't want to necessarily give up that rules deferment chip while there's other stuff going on. And obviously Liberty are trying to make provisions for granting credit to teams for next year of those who are struggling. Uh, so there's all these these financial things that are linked into it because they're going to have to get everyone signed up for next year eventually. That they, they can they can wait a little bit, but you know if there's no racing in October, they'll they can't just keep waiting because they need people signed up, don't they? So it's there's a wider picture here beyond technical, isn't there? There's a wider picture than beyond technical. And I mean, the way it used to work, really, when Bernie owned or ran Formula One, uh, you know, if you were in a bit of a financial problem, give Bernie a ring and, you know, something would happen. Um, but at the minute, you can't do that. I, I don't think you can do that. It's, it's, you know, they have to have a board meeting, they have to have, you know, 20 people in there voting on it. Can we give these guys, you know, two million to tide them over to next month or whatever it be? So it's a very, very difficult scenario that Liberty have got themselves into or bought themselves into, I suppose. You know, they, they bought this this package of Formula One for one simple reason, to make money. Uh, that's all it's about. It's just simply that. And at the minute, you know, they are not making money on it. So they are actually hemorrhaging probably dramatically right now, more than anybody else, because all those races that are getting cancelled and stuff, you know, there's payback for that, all that stuff. So... It's, it's hemorrhaging on that side, and it's hemorrhaging as far as the teams are concerned. You know, a lot of teams are are prolonging their, their their staff. You know, letting them letting them letting them go temporarily at least. Um, so it's one of those sort of situations where change will always cost money, and if, if, if no matter whether it makes the cars better or worse or whatever, you know, the change and the regulations will always cost a huge, huge amounts of money. And that's the thing that's hemorrhaging at the moment. It's money that's hemorrhaging. It's not ideas or patterns, thoughts, potential, racing. Nothing of that's hemorrhaging. So I think the whole thing needs to focus right now on getting itself back on a track with four wheels on the car, no matter what the car is, and starting racing again. And then, you know, reassess the situation once that can happen, once the money starts to trickle back in again. Because... It won't be the money we talked about before. You know, we're talking about twenty-five million dollars, roughly, as a as a, a fee from a, a racetrack. I'm pretty sure that this whole thing will have caused enough grief to everybody for that twenty-five million dollars not even to be want to be thought about for the future. Every government in the world is spending huge amounts of money for the, to get their country to survive and their people to survive. They're not going to want those luxuries at the huge high-end expenditure. So. You know, the future isn't going to be what the past was. It's going to be a lot different. And I think you just got to stabilize it right now and say, right, okay, let's get this thing together. What could we do to the cars now? If Ferrari reckon the cars for, that were proposed for 2021 or 2022, if they're cheaper to run, then you look at what you've got now and say, right, what can we do to these cars during this interlude? 
what can we do with these cars to actually make them cheaper to run as well? Is it shorter races? Is it, you know, is it two-day weekends? Is it one-day weekends? Just to get the thing kick-started again and get it back on, on track. Absolutely. And Zach Brown, a few days ago in an interview with uh, with BBC, talked about the fact that, you know, four teams could go could go out of business because of this. And while some people think that's alarmist, it's not, is it? Because there are and there are only 10 teams that make up Formula 1. That's really what Liberty owns, the 10 teams capable of putting cars on track. And actually, a small number of those teams can only do that because of their technical partnerships with others. Haas, for example, fully independent, that aren't, aren't set up. They'd have to spend more money to, to be able to do it. So... You know, with without those ten teams, Liberty doesn't really have anything. It doesn't. That's what it owns the commercial rights to, really. So that's the number one priority for them has to be to protect those teams. Yeah, and I think when Zach Brown says four teams could go out of business, I think he's he might just be underestimating that a little bit. You know, um, there there's deep pockets in Formula One, but they're only so deep. You know, Red Bull, for example. You know, whenever you can't go to a bar and you can't go out and buy your red can of Red Bull in a you know a shop or or in a bar what's happening you know this is worldwide this is not just one little country that's suffering the consequences of a of a bit of a shutdown here and there this is worldwide so you know red bull's income right now must have dramatically fallen mercedes car sales renault's car sales you know ferrari isn't isn't open they're not making cars that it's a big hit for all of these people so let's not underestimate the problem the small teams might be the ones that can actually survive because they can you know, sort of shut up shop and, and, and reduce the cost dramatically. But the big teams, the costs are so high. They're the ones that you might just see disappear out the window very, very quickly. Yeah, having a smaller cost base at this time is a, is a positive. Well, um, yeah, complicated situation. So thanks very much, Gary, for your insight into it. Hopefully we will get to a to a point where the correct action is uh, is taken. But obviously it's a very, uh, as usual, a very three-dimensional challenge, isn't it, with not just uh, not just technical. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's hope things are sorted out. Uh, obviously, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of the Gary Anderson F1 show. Uh, head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. There's loads of material on there, including some uh, excellent work from uh, Gary Anderson himself. And do check out our other podcast, the Race F1 podcast. Uh, we've got an eSport podcast, Formula E, MotoGP, and, of course, Bring Back V10s, the, uh, the Classic F1 Stories podcast. And also check out our YouTube channel. We'll be back next week with more from Gary. Gary.